0: Bandwidth for This Week in Photography is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This Week in Photography is sponsored by Audible. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash twip for a free downloadable book. This week on the show, photos that melt in your mouth, not in your hands. Picking a good web album, is it more important to buy a new lens or a new flash? And are paparazzi human? Right here on This Week in Photography, number 36. Hey everybody, uh, we're here again. And uh, of course, hey, everybody, uh, that means that it's me, it's Alex, uh, here all by myself uh, in the studio. But, f- but fortunately, there are other people here, uh, not really here, but here in, the, in virtual space. Uh, so we've got uh, Steve Simon in New York. Hey, Steve. Hey, Alex, uh, you going to be okay by yourself there? <laughs> I'm okay. I got a light on. Right. I'm looking be up. Strong. I'm hoping it's going to be okay. Be strong. There's a lot of gray in here. I'm kind of scared. But uh, also down uh, from Hermosa Beach. Uh, yep, we've got uh, Ron Brinkman. Hey, Ron. Hey, everybody. Is it scary down
1: there? <laughs> no, it's a beautiful day.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, we've got. Um, we want to, of course, thank Audible and uh, and Drobo for uh, p- sponsoring our show today, and uh, we've got a lot of uh, of fun news here. So, we've got w- one thing that I'm I'm really curious what you guys think of here is this. Um, there's a lot of uh, the or- the Orphans the Orphan Works Act is um this has been submitted by one of our uh listeners um uh, Jay, uh rodstein and uh, and this is starting to you know come up to a head people are starting to talk about it and it may go through congress uh, what do you guys think of this
1: you know it's i wish i'd done a little more research on it. i was I, i've seen so much back and forth by people that you know that, that know what they're talking about and i was just now looking up uh uh, Lawrence Lessig's comment on it, and it does seem like he is, he feels that, that the bill, as it's introduced, is not uh, not what it should be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for those of you who don't know, Lawrence Lessig, he's sort of, uh, you know, the guy that started up Creative Commons uh, as a concept and a real strong advocate for uh, so what, know, open when, source stuff. So he doesn't think it should, it, it, it's... Uh, it, it looks like, you know, it's, this is really bad because I just started reading this while we were doing the intro stuff, but... Right. uh <laughs> it it sounds like he's uh he's saying that it's uh, it's not what it should be I mean the- Go, go ahead, Steve. Do you have any opinions? Yeah, on the I mean,
2: I think, I think what's happening is we're, we're kind of going backwards at a time when we really need to protect our, our copyright uh, for our content. Because, I mean, you know, the future of uh, for a lot of photographers is going to be heavily dependent on uh, content and Internet stuff. Mm-hmm. And it looks as though, and I'm not sure exactly where this thing is coming from, but now the onus is on the copyright holder. Uh, to prove that they've got the copyright. And if someone takes your material... And, and and finger quotes tries to find you and doesn't, and uses it. Um, you as the copyright holder are not going to have, uh, 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 you know, the same rights that you would uh, otherwise. So, but again, I I, I must admit too, I, I should be more on top of this thing than I than I am, and I will after
1: the show immediately. <laughs> yes, once once we're all done talking here, we'll actually go figure it out. <laughs> now, I, you know, th- there's uh, we'll put this in the show notes. There's uh, there's some links that are available for uh, people to write to their. Congress persons about this with some template stuff, and so once you do your your research, and if you do come to that conclusion that it the bill as it stands is not what it should be. Uh, we can at least give you some links for who I mean, to get in touch with about it.
0: There's a great, I mean, uh, Lawrence Lessig's, uh, he's got some videos that are just fantastic that are uh, that, you know on copyright in orphans' work. And there is an argument that, that the, and, and one that I, I tend to side with a little bit, is that we also have to figure out how we can uh, manage this process between copyright, because there is a cultural loss oftentimes when, when you can't find the copyright holder. The issue that you get into is that you can't use the work
1: and and the thing and, is yeah and that's the whole point of the, the orphan part of it is you know if there's some piece of work that nobody has has you know bothered to renew copyright on nobody seems to really care about it, at least from a, you know an ownership corporate perspective you know that, that should go into the public domain and people should be able to to resurrect it themselves and remix it and, and use it without any sort of fear of being you know infringing on something and, and I, I definitely agree that there needs to be some kind of reform in there I mean you know it, it seems like at this point, most copyright laws is driven by the fact that Disney keeps trying to make sure yeah. they can you know hold on to Mickey Mouse. I
0: mean, that's uh, and all everything. of our copyright laws are pretty much driven by the mouse. You know, I mean, it's, <laughs> I mean that's I mean that's why because if you look at before that, there is an, an, a lot of things that we have that are uh, you know Dover the book company Dover is pretty much an entire book company based on things on uh, copyright that expired. But they don't have anything new to put up because there's nothing, nothing, uh, uh, nothing's coming out that's new, you know, because because we stopped in in the in the 30s. I mean, pretty much everything beyond that is this kind of we're going to keep hold of everything. And 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 the issue is is that. Um, some of the stuff for instance that has has become more popular because it went into the public domain for instance, is something like uh, um it 's a wonderful life really didn 't uh, until it could be broadcast without all the without all of the back ends it it, it was basically a dead movie we would none of yeah. us would have
1: seen it in our lifetime yeah. yeah and the only reason you started watching again is because the the stations didn 't have to pay any royalties on it, and so they played it constantly over the holidays and everybody started to see it again you know, and it 's proven to be a a real cultural uh you know, culturally important work because of that. Right. I mean, again, it, it's, it's, we probably shouldn't go too deep down this, but uh, uh, since we're getting into this week in media more than photography. But <laughs> I, I will say that, it. you know, as a kind of a side note, Google just published a huge list of books that they believe are in the public domain. There's the same issue going on there, and that's pretty interesting to see. You know all of these books that are out there that potentially should be available to everybody uh, for free. And while I, th-
0: I do think it's important for photo- photographers, especially, to be able to, uh, in this context, be able to uh, protect their work, I think that it's also a business where if if you really have work that you want to protect, it, there should be some minor thing that you ha- need to do to keep it in, you know, in code, so to speak. And yeah, right yeah, now. I think that's right really, now uh, Sorry. Yeah, Go right ahead, now Steve. the best way to do
2: that, guys, of course, is to uh, copyright your work, and we had some good links uh, on Twip uh, to to you know start that process, but. Currently, really, that's the, the the best thing you can do. It, it takes a right. little time, but as we know, I mean, you know, our work, uh, you know, is something that uh, has value and often increases in value over time. As it as you as the work ages and becomes historical, sometimes uh, there could be a, a, a very big value associated to it. So you want to protect it,
0: right? And if it's a business, just treat it like a business and find you know copy do, do the do the process. Uh, I think that uh, otherwise, I think you end up with a lot of media that is just kind of in this kind of in between i think that's what they're trying to figure out it doesn't look like they're hitting it right on the mark right here but uh, i can i, I definitely see uh, both sides of that <laughs> of that issue uh, also here almost as important almost as important <laughs> oh i think it's big
1: <laughs> see see you know I, I look at we get the show notes for those of you that don't know how this all works. work aaron puts together show notes for us and we sit down in the morning and, and if it's like me you know, five minutes before the show, we start reading what we should know about for the show. Yeah, about an hour and a half <laughs> and, ahead of
0: time, Aaron and I go through them, and yeah. so we 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 chat through this stuff. <laughs> so I read
1: this line: Aaron and Alex and Scott melt in your mouth, not in your hands.
0: <laughs> and you were like, "Oh no, what does that mean?" So evidently, what this is is you can take your photo, and you can uh, you, there is a my M and M's or my, my mm's and uh, uh, com, and you can custom print the faces of the M and M's. So, you know when you did your- when did
2: book. M&Ms become so big you know I was walking in New York City and they have this like M&Ms world this giant place dedicated to the, to the M's. And I remember, you know, flying and seeing this on, on, on you know, in an airplane uh, magazine about how you can actually put photos and, and your little logos on M&M's. And I thought, <laughs> this is fantastic. Yeah, exactly. And, and they, even, they even actually have photo tips on how to sort of, you know, get the most of your photo on an M&M.
0: I think we're going to have and to test it. I think I got to figure out how to get the TWIP logo I like you know, it on there.
2: People if they don't love you know the one thing we can we can sort of agree on, I think, is that everyone loves chocolate. So right. if you can somehow attach, you know, your photography to chocolate, you're probably doing some good <laughs> promotional
1: thing. Now clearly this is not uh 300 DPI, uh, glossy photo paper, <laughs> reproductive quality, but, uh, you know. <laughs>
2: got, we, we have to come up with some plugins, you know, for Aperture to, to maximize. Expert to
1: M&Ms, yeah. yeah, exactly. exactly. So,
0: also, uh, in the news, uh, 24,000 euros uh, makes the Leica M8 worth uh, 8 zillion American dollars these days, right? Uh, or closer to 36,000. So, what, Steve, what was this? Uh, this is a, um, this was the first Leica?
2: Yeah, this was the first Leica and uh, you know, the, in the Leica world uh, it's a world that uh, is a very expensive world to be a part of and there are a lot of collectors <laughs> out there. Uh, mostly they're not photographers because photographers can't afford uh, to be in that world often. Right. But uh, but this is the first Leica M8 uh, which, um, you know, it's been a kind of a controversial camera but it's, it really is a, a Leica gone digital and the first one, so it's got a real uh, collectible uh, cachet to it and the money goes to uh, Reporters Without Borders, which is an organization uh, concerned with the welfare of journalists covering stories around the world, often in very dangerous uh, places. So, uh, you know, 24,000 euros, I think, will will really help out uh, a good cause, and uh, some rich Leica dude
0: has the first Leica M8. Now, now uh, Steve, can you tell pe- our, our listeners, I think a lot of our listeners probably haven't heard a lot about Leica and don't know what the history of Leica is, what, what makes Leica interesting? Why Why does it have this kind of cult following? It's almost like a an apple for cameras. You know, I mean, the people who use Like Us are very uh, religious about it.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, if you look at the history of photography and you look at the history of kind of, uh, you know, the, the photojournalism and documentary world specifically, um, you know, the Leica was the camera that uh, really uh, made things uh, portable and possible. And, you know, of course, the great Cartier-Bresson used the Leica exclusively throughout his career. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a small camera. It's a rangefinder camera. It's a different way of shooting because, you know, you're not looking through the lens. You see a little window and you see... Sort of everything there, you know. A lot of these guys would pre-focus, you know, using the the hyperfocal distance, so they knew, you know, when their subject was within range, it was going to be sharp. And you can move really quickly and and, and fast yeah. with a Leica. It was tiny. The lenses were second to none, still are, I think. You know, the the bokeh of a Leica lens, you you can notice it. I think you can see it. You can see the difference. Um, right. So you know, I mean, it's 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 still a unique way of shooting, really. There's 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 few things like it.
0: Yeah, it's very, very quiet. You know, it's, it's, it's it really is that if you want to be in the background taking photos, it always seemed like that's the camera you'd want to use, uh, back in the yeah. film days at least.
2: And when I've used it, it really does work. I mean people kind of ignore you right. I mean they really do <laughs>
0: yeah exactly uh,
2: more than normal
0: <laughs> <So>. <laughs> they ignore me all the time uh, <laughs> Now there's a this is a, also a little uh, tidbit here. this is a couple this is an old photo um, that was uh, uh, found they finally found who was actually in it so this uh, can you tell us a little bit about this, Steve?
2: Yeah, sorry. I mean, these were these are a couple that I put in. So I'll just speak quickly yep. to this one. But Robert Frank, uh, of course, the great Robert Frank, uh, arguably you know the most influential photo book published, *The Americans*, and uh, you know, eighty-three images carefully chosen out of thousands that he had made over two years traveling America. And uh, this was a couple in uh, Indiana on motorcycles. And uh, 51 years later, um, the woman in that famous Frank photo um, was identified and interviewed, I guess, by local media there. And uh, it's just kind of an interesting—it's an interesting story. She had no idea, you know, she was about Robert Frank. Or that she was in, in the photo or the photo existed. So right. it was a great discovery for her. Uh, her, her. Her husband, who's on the motorcycle with her, has since passed away. But, but it, it is interesting in the sense that, uh, you know, when you look at photos that have become somewhat iconic, it's, always, it's often interesting to kind of seek out uh, the people or the subjects in those photos and just kind of see what happened. Oh, that's um, what, it, I thought
0: that was interesting when they did National Geographic, when they found the girl who was in the, the iconic National Geographic photo.
2: Yeah, that yep. Steve McCurry yep. shot of the yeah. woman with the eyes, and. Yeah. Uh
1: it's yeah you know, not that not that many years i mean it's been a while but uh, she looks uh, she had a hard life. <laughs> you can tell she's had a hard life yeah, <laughs> yeah and,
2: and just you know on that front uh, i think it's nicholas nixon photographed his wife and her three sisters over the course of like 35 years in a same way and right. when you put those images together it really becomes kind of a fascinating study on the physical changes that that happen to us you know in this life i mean alex you haven't aged at all but many of us do <laughs>
0: <laughs> that, and, and, you know, really photos aged. are the best day. i'm more swelled yeah that's been that's, that's been my my big problem so also uh, in the news this 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 caught uh kind of an online uh a lot of uh online attention where the paparazzi caught it did you see the video in malibu
1: i didn't actually see the video i keep meaning to look it up i think it's a pretty hilarious story <laughs>
0: actually pretty funny <laughs> you know i knew matthew
1: I, yeah uh, and and his his boys. So Matthew McConaughey versus, are out, uh, out
0: out out, out He's out uh, surfing, and there's like a hundred. I don't know a hundred. There's probably twenty paparazzi trying to take pictures, and some of the surfers decided they'd come over and defend their their man.
1: So uh, uh, it got. I mean, a little... I don't
2: think that paparazzi are photographers personally.
0: Uh,
1: I, I'm glad. I yeah, I'm glad to hear you say that. I don't think too. there's a whole lot of uh, sympathy not... for in general i'm not sure if they're human so <laughs> no, you know they're not I,
2: helping us out though as photographers let me tell you
1: yeah you no. know, it, it's interesting i actually connect that with uh, a little, uh, something else that i saw that uh, we, we might mention which is some some sort of artist has built this camera that or this device that uh, syncs with other people's uh, strobes when they go off and projects basically yeah. graffiti onto the scene yeah and, and and I keep uh, you know, and it's, it's a pretty interesting little process. So he's got it set up so he goes to tourist spots. The, the thing they showed was actually at the uh, checkpoint Charlie in Berlin, where I was just at like three four weeks ago. And uh, so the, you know the tourists are standing around, they're taking the photos, and this guy has this device that you know when when a when a flash goes off. It simultaneously will project a piece of basically graffiti onto the object that's being photographed. And so all these people are taking these pictures and then looking down at their their little LCDs and trying to figure out what the heck it is that's That's on this photo that they can't see in real life. I think it's just genius. Oh, it's it's brilliant. It's a ghost. But so, but it, you know it made me think that for all the paparazzi stuff, I'm mean, I'm surprised that nobody has come up with some kind of device that either you know looks for for flash going off or I mean you, you could just take yeah. one of those little slate flashes and and you know wear it on your shoulder so that any time a flash goes off, uh, you know there's a, there's a corresponding flash coming off your shoulder. Nobody would be able to get a picture of you. Where I where I grew up, we had a we had a device for paparazzi. Caught a Rottweiler,
0: and you know—I I think it would have been fairly effective. Uh, also, last—lastly—in the news, uh, just something. This is kind of a interesting. You know, a lot of us talk about uh, dealing with thousands of images or hundreds of images or tens of thousands of images, uh, there is a, a, a one-hour presentation. I think it's a one-hour presentation that uh, where uh, one of the guys at Facebook uh, that technically manages this uh, deal, um, <laughs> talks about how do you manage uh, 6.5 billion Im- images in four to five sizes, so over 30 billion files, uh, total of 540 terabytes, Uh, And it serves uh, 475,000 images per second at peak. And so, yeah, go ahead.
2: Those are are some huge numbers. But I have to say, when I I clicked on and 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 started to listen to him, he kind of lost me after he said, well, here's how it works. I was completely,
0: I just. So for the geek in you, uh, if if you want to check that out, uh, definitely, uh, uh, you know, go up there and check it out. We'll put it in the show notes. Uh, It's just an amazing thing of of what to process. I know that uh, even our, some of our file structures and everything else here looks foreign to a lot of people because we have to deal with a lot of data, but it's nothing like this. So uh, definitely check it out. Also, finally on the rumor mill, uh, July 1, there's a rumor floating around that there's going to be a DSL launch. We don't know what it is. DSLR launch. Do you guys have any any new news?
1: Gosh, uh, well, you know the the rumors seem pretty strong for the Nikon and the D seven hundred. That'll be interesting if it truly, as they as what the rumors are saying, is that it's using the same sensor as in the D three. So, right. And so, uh, so uh, next
2: week, Alex, do you? Do you Go know ahead. stuff that you're not allowed to say. I mean, I, I assume that you I know, know lots you're of, sort of that I'm not allowed. You're to say, ahead
0: of the curve. You know? <laughs> I know lots <laughs> of things that I'm not allowed to say, but but nothing about cameras. So uh, uh. so th- this is not the, this is not an area where my NDAs uh, actually uh, reach. So um so no, I don't know anything about what's going to happen here. So uh, we'll, we shall see you next week. Hopefully, we'll be able to discuss it next week.
2: Yeah, So July first happens to be Canada Day.
0: Canada Day yes you
2: oh, have to make mention of canada at least once a show and it's it's our <laughs>
0: july 4th <laughs> well it's, it's nice that it was so close together we can all take the week off together pretty much yeah very good uh finally we uh, we're going to the site of the week um photoshop disasters uh ron tell us about photoshop <laughs> <laughs> disasters
1: i love this website uh, you know <laughs> there's a lot of people out there doing photoshop for advertising that um Maybe don't quite take the care that they should and making sure that the work they've done for modifying an image is is sort of correct with what the real world would see. But there's a site that's Photoshop Disasters that uh, will pretty often publish pictures and then sort of dissect how messed up they are. And a lot of times it's the kind of thing where you, you maybe wouldn't have noticed it at first, but as soon as somebody points out the fact that uh, You know, Tiger Woods in this photo is standing both in front of and behind somebody. Yeah, that they whoever cut and pasted this uh, into the scene didn't didn't quite think about how the the physics of the reality would work. Uh, That's a pretty hilarious stuff. You know, and I I think I think the most common thing is what you see is uh, different. Sort of fashion shoots where the models are so distorted by somebody trying to make them, you know, look a little bit uh, sexier, or a little bit uh, blemish-free. And you get bizarrely stretched limbs and, and just you know, sort of anatomically impossible things showing up. But it's it's pretty hilarious. I recommend everybody just subscribe to the feed on it and uh, well, also, get daily. Uh, we're going to put in the show notes
0: uh, if you're listening to this. You definitely want to check this out. Uh, Aaron sent me this YouTube video of uh, the evolution of beauty of a photo shoot. And basically it's the process of a woman coming in getting made up and ending up on a billboard. And it that is, is yeah.
1: brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> really that.
0: frightening. I mean, you know, it no, just, I, you know, really gives you the, the sense of how far. Oh, yeah, you and you
1: get. really understand that, that, you know, that no, none of these fashion photos are, are even close to what they originally started out as.
2: Right. You know, guys, there was a site that did photo high end Photoshop retouching and, they put up on their website the before and after of these celebrity images. And, you know, as much as this photo disaster site is fantastic and, and hilarious, that was almost uh, startlingly uh, scary in that when you look at what the celebrity looked like uh, sort of in the, in the real shot and how amazingly they were completely changed and yeah. everything was changed. <laughs> and, and it goes on. We know about retouching and airbrushing and all that, but, but when you way see past,
0: it. Way, way past that now. Oh my goodness. I mean, well, one of the things that we'll also put a link to uh, Greg Apodaca's uh, site uh, and uh, Greg, Greg is probably the most uh, technically proficient Photoshop user in the world. Uh, I mean, he, everybody that I talk to ever, who's ever been in the same room and talked about Photoshop with him is pretty much uh, in agreement. And uh, he works at, I think he works at Apple now, but he, um, uh, but he, uh, it's a, He's profoundly gifted <laughs> in, in Photoshop. And uh, if you go to his site, we'll, we'll put a link to his site. It, it is, uh, one, once again, there's a couple of those where you roll over and you see the model and you see what she looked like later. And it's not so much the big changes, the goofy changes. It's lots of little things that, you know, you just suddenly realize really changes, you know, how that person appears. So it's, uh, anyway, it's very interesting.
1: I was just looking at one more picture on this Photoshop disaster and there's this uh, model sort of posed up against a wall. She's leaning against the wall and she's wearing just a little piece of negligee. And, uh, and then they sort of circle the fact that the shadow she's casting on the wall shows that she's not nearly as, as, as svelte as uh, as the, as what is being portrayed in the image. You can see the shadow; just a little bit more uh, fluffy. <laughs> yeah, no,
0: it's a good one. It's it's also a good one if you're doing Photoshop work to see what to remind you of things that you might want to pay attention to as you go forward. Yes. So um,
2: and make you feel good about your own Photoshop abilities. Yeah, exactly. It's true. So,
0: yeah. So the uh, so anyway, so we're um, we also want to make sure we thank. Uh, drobo um, drobo of course is our sponsor and uh, um the uh you know many people are you know dealing with all these photos and and uh, videos and music and um and you can also use uh, the drobo for the time machine have you guys drobo drobo your stuff yet
1: no i, I really yeah, want to going. get one i keep uh, I, I i'm right now i'm juggling the fact that one of my drives is actually in the shop getting repaired anyway or sent back really? to L- lacy and uh, <sighs> it scares me
0: well i mean that's the whole thing is that go ahead steve yeah,
2: no, I have yet
0: to, to Drobo, but
2: uh, I perhaps see Drobo in my future. Um,
0: it's a, you know, the, the great thing is we've got a couple of them here and uh, and we've been using a lot of them and we, we you know, you, you drop four drives in and they don't have to be any certain size. They can all just be mixed and matched. And so you throw them all in and as it fills up, it just says, oh, this drive needs to be replaced. You pop it out whenever you want. You pop a new one in. Uh, you don't need to know anything about RAID 5. You don't need to know about anything about that type of thing. And everything is being kept, uh, you know, you can have up to one drive uh, go bad. And still have all your data there. So um, yeah, it's so
2: compl- It gets so complicated, and this is like the number one issue we all have to deal with. And Drobo has made it simple, and yeah. and, and and it's unique. There's nothing else no. uh, on the market, as far as I can tell, that it works in the same way.
0: No, there isn't. And, and so it's really uh, definitely something that uh, we've been we've been really sold on. So uh, you, I, I've been sold on anyway. So it's uh, it's really really great. Uh, you by the way, you can get a fifty dollars off your uh, Drobo. Uh, at drobo.com slash twip that's twip so um if you want to get fifty dollars off i think the offer is good through august but uh, check it out Uh, drobo.com slash twip and uh we've got uh it's week two of the Flickr challenge uh this is the the um the subject is strength so uh so let's um let's see what people come up with Uh, a lot of good submissions so far we've got 53 over fifty three hundred members now so it just keeps on uh, keeps on cruising up, and we had a uh, um, we had the forum uh, was was asking how uh, you know how long should TWIP be? So this was a little bit of looking at our own navel. So uh, it looks like thirty eight percent. I think it's the right length right now that's the that was the biggest uh number and then uh the next highest number was 60 to 75 to 75 minutes so 25 percent, and we may let it stretch over just a little bit here and
1: there um to uh, yeah it's good it's good to to know we can go over every now and then if we really get into it yeah i mean it amazes me how fast it goes by doing you know trying to keep it to an hour there's just constantly stuff well i mean everybody can sort of hear that whenever we get to the end and there's all the listener questions and we're like and we don't have time for those. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. And now we have to move on. So we're gonna, yeah.
1: we're hopefully gonna relax that a little bit. And but so
0: there's at least
2: uh, one dude out there that says less than 15 minutes. Yeah, I know. So, He's like,
0: <laughs> I think at that there's range, always one. Yeah, there's, yeah, always yeah one. there's always one. There's always one smart <laughs> aleck. That's all I gotta say. Uh, the uh, the poll for uh, this week is how often do you use your a tripod? How often do you guys use a tripod? Do you use it very often?
1: Uh, That's what I'm doing. You know, I. I uh, I definitely like to have at least something with me whenever I'm. Most of my photography is when I travel, and so that makes it even harder. You know, I generally carry my little travel tripod, and uh, but yeah, it's hard to you know take the time to pull it out and, and do it. But clearly, there's so many advantages to doing it
2: yeah and with uh, with some of the new cameras like the d3 with the low light capabilities and the boosting of the ISO in terms of like you know getting sharp images in low light uh, it's not as that's not necessarily the reason you'd use it but I love going when the light goes down and you put your tripod on and you start to play with long exposures it's sort of like you just can't predict what you're going to get and sometimes you know you're really just pleasantly surprised so it's it's kind of fun and there's no substitute for sort of you know maximum sharpness anchor that Camera down, and uh, it's going to improve your sharpness.
0: And that
1: makes a big yeah, difference. Just with, with, with being able light to get private, you right. know a, a thirty second exposure or something when the light starts going down, or if you want to play with water and that kind of thing, it's. Uh, it you got to have a good tripod and you know the, the trick is really the trick for me is not having a tripod of course it's making sure you got it with you and uh, available <laughs> when you need it. <laughs> i true. still I, I you know it still seems like there is is room for massive improvement and sort of size and weight for good tripods and yeah. hopefully some of these new materials that are coming out will let me have something that's at a reasonable point i mean so you can get
0: really good yeah. ones they're graphite and they're light but they're yeah. like six hundred dollars
2: I have yeah, a friend yeah. who claimed to be a human tripod. He said he could. Uh, my friend Larry Wong, uh, when I worked <laughs> at the Edmonton <laughs> Journal, he said he can have he can have like a, a four second exposure and just I don't know stop his heart or something and just be able to. Take it with with total sharpness. See when I think so. that I
0: just imagine I imagine him uh, you know standing there, me putting my camera on his head. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like, okay. Okay. Now, now I, I need you to lean a little bit. You're not you're not quite turn your head a little bit. The the, the bubble you know, you'd have to put like a little bubble on his head too, so you could figure That's out right. which he was actually,
2: up. Quick release head would be even better. So, but
0: anyway. <laughs> All right. So we have a we have a special guest today. We have uh, it's uh, Julio Ojeda Zapata uh, from uh, from Minnesota. Is that right, Julio?
3: Yeah, that's right. St. Paul.
0: St. Paul, Minnesota. And uh, Julio, what, what's your background in, in, in photography?
3: Uh, my background in photography is a lot more uh, newbie-ish than uh, you uh, photo demigods. Um, <laughs> um, believe it or not, a recent arrival to, uh, to Flickr. <laughs> uh, I take a lot of photos. I'm just, I'm just not very, uh, extremely skilled. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm more on the prosumer side, more on the amateur side. Perfect. Perfect. But
0: And what you've been doing a lot of research around, though, is uh, doing web albums, right?
3: Yeah, I'm a, I'm a tech columnist here at the St. Paul Pioneer Press. I'm sort of the, the David Pogue of the Upper Midwest. I leave the Lower Midwest to Andy and Notco. And, <laughs> and um, I, I delve into a particular topic that I may not be an expert on, but I just, I just muck about for a long time and sort of come up with... Uh, different options and one of the things i've been fascinated with is you know what are some of the the more interesting ways people that are not uh photo geeks like you guys can publish their photos to the web um and so now
0: now a lot of us i mean uh you know these are different than uh doing something like just a basic flicker or using iPhoto right these are just going a little beyond that
3: Yeah, Flickr, uh, these are alternatives for people uh, that might be in uh, situations, you know, other than – Flickr is great for a lot of people. iPhoto is great for a lot of people. But there are some other interesting options for people in particular circumstances that I can tell you about. Sure. Um, And and the key is you want to publish – Albums to the web, and you want those albums to look really great, really terrific. Mm-hmm. But you don't have to, you know the technical skills to set up a you know a specialized photo blog like some pro photographers do. You maybe don't want to pay the the pro the Flickr um, pro account fees. Maybe you have some server space that you're not using and you want, you want the right tool to sort of plop some albums on there and have them published for grandma and have them look really great. Maybe you're using a particular backup service that mm-hmm. has some, some photo functionality built into it. You know, there's a variety of scenarios. And, you know, as, we, as we tick down the list here. I can so, so you
0: have four of them here. One of them is uh, Dropbox. Tell us a little bit about what, drop, what makes Dropbox different.
3: I became interested in Dropbox because I've been very frustrated with uh, Apple's iDisk. Uh, uh, I'm assuming a lot of you guys use that. Mm-hmm. iDisk is kind of a, uh, a drive in the sky that where you can uh, keep information, you know, files and such in the cloud. It's a little Little problematic. Um, people are having problems with it. So Dropbox recently emerged as kind of an iDisk replacement that just works. Uh, it's uh, it's it's a it's a, a place to stick files in the cloud, have them sync to to a variety of computers. Uh, the photo part uh, is interesting. Um, there's a there's a dedicated photo folder in your Dropbox on your on the desktop on the, on the all the the computers you're using and in the cloud. If you drop uh, photos in there, they're automatically published uh, to the web in the form of you know, very attractive looking albums. So, right.
0: so it's really just drag and drop uh, and you can have drag a, and drop. a lot of multiple uh, computers all feeding towards the same uh, location?
3: Yeah, exactly. So say you have uh, you know five photo sets each in their own folder on your desktop. You just drag them over to your Dropbox photo folder. Just plop them in there. Uh, Dropbox is extremely good about you know, syncing right up to the cloud. Once your photos are synced up to the cloud, uh, uh, you have five five web albums. Presto! It's just right. amazingly simple, very quick. Each of those uh, web albums has a, has a distinct URL that you can sort of give to your relatives, to your friends. And I I was just amazed by uh, number one by the the, the ease of use. Mm-hmm. Very easy, very fast, very reliable, and I, I was also impressed. You know, the photos—the photos are look, the photo albums look uh, look, look very nice, very right. attractive, easy to navigate.
0: Also, you had a SugarSync. Now, what's what's different about SugarSync from Dropbox?
3: And then, SugarSync is is similar to uh, to Dropbox in that it has a certain iDisk-like functionality. It Goes beyond that, it's more of a uh, Mosey, more of a Carbonite. Um, backup your hard drive to the cloud paradigm. Mm-hmm. It's a full backup service. Right. But again, you go, you go to a particular place, a particular photo folder. Again, if you drop photos into that uh, folder, again, they're published to the web. You know, similar kind of a thing. Now,
0: do, these, do these support, these support obviously, JPEG, but do, they, do these support TIFFs and RAW files as well?
3: Uh, that's, that's a good question. I've mostly been doing JPEGs, okay. but in, in that sense, it's worked incredibly well for me. Great.
0: Also, we have and so oh, Go ahead. Go ahead. Jalbum? Is it Jalbum?
3: I've, I've I've pondered how to pronounce it. I'm pretty sure it's pronounced Jalbum. Uh, this is a slightly uh, different animal. It consists of desktop software that, that you can download, um, and the the software has one one very specific purpose, which is to create web albums that you can then put anywhere. So, say uh, your ISP gives you some server space right. for for web publishing, or you want so they're not doing the, the storage
0: s- for you. You, you, if you. This is something if you're coloing or you have your own server system. This this lets you set that up uh, on its own.
3: Yeah, in my case, uh, I'd use the sites folder in my iDisk. Right. So so again, uh, this is a drag and drop kind of a situation. You, you install the, the software on on your computer. It supports everything: Linux, uh, Windows, Macintosh. You install the software, then you drag. Uh, you have your again. You have your five. Folders uh, full of photos on your desktop. You drag these folders over over to the software, and it uh, and then click a button, and bam! It creates uh, creates a web album. And this software has been around for a while. And in the past, the uh, albums that it generated tend to be tended to be HTML based. Mm-hmm. Um, lately, they're they're getting slicker. A lot, a lot of the the skins, as it were, the, the various. Uh, Album uh, options uh, are tending to be flash-based, so there's a whole wide variety. There's a whole community built around uh, creating skins for Jalbum.
0: So the big advantage of this over something like uh, iPhoto or whatever, even if you're using an iDisc, is that you uh, is that you just have a greater a greater choice in how your albums are going to look.
3: Yeah, there's a, there's a, a massive amount of tweaking capabilities built into the software. Right. And, and this but is it,
0: I think that one of the issues is I mean like with a lot of people with Flickr, Flickr is that you just don't have a lot of control over how your photos are going to show up. Um, and it's an interface. I have to admit that I don't, I don't
1: particularly. Like. I'm, I'm astounded at how long Flickr's rather convoluted interface has has right. survived. How well it's done. I mean, every, you know, it. I don't know, and, and you know, Julia, maybe you know of something that sort of provides a, a front end to Flickr, something that lets you do more and you know, uses Flickr as your storage solution, but then it gives you a better interface for displaying, yeah. for organizing. I don't know. It sure seems like there should be something out there that does that. Yeah. It's, I, I don't. Some
3: software plugins that let you modify the, the appearance of Flickr, and, the, and I've also stumbled on some uh, software solutions that let you download from Flickr, but I'm not aware of anything that, that radically alters the interface. Um, the reason it took me so long to get on Flickr is it took me, and again, I'm not a photo geek, it took me a while to wrap. My brain around the eccentricities of the service, <laughs> and I'm, a, I, I'm kind of I'm kind of a believer now. But it took me a while. But again, uh, I'll give you an example. I was uh, I was creating a, a dedicated. I, w- I went to my uh, high school, my 25th high school reunion in Puerto Rico not long ago, and I was uh, I was the designated geek who like collected everyone's photo cards and uh, aggregated all the photos and then set set apart, set about to create a website. And um, Flickr was not. I didn't think it was the right option because I was creating a front end in iWeb uh, with Apple's iWeb uh, program. And then I I went and then I created all the albums, you know, all the albums for the various activities in in Jalbum. Mm -hmm. And I created, uh, you know, some of them were lower res, some of them were higher res, some of them were HTML based, some of them were flash based. I could give, you know, all my classmates, you know, depending on how fast their Internet connections were, Mm -hmm. depending on what. What kind of album style they want? I could give them lots of different options. They could right. see all the photos in a whole variety of different ways. Well, I
0: think that one of the advantages of Flickr, obviously, is the 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 way you can collaborate. I mean, and that's why we we have fifty three hundred Flickr members, and it's easy to, for people to add, you know kind of become part of groups. And I think that's what's made it so popular. Uh, it's definitely not been the interface, um, but I know that like I'm working on a um, uh, you know my uh, my twentieth uh, reunion is coming up this year, and uh, yeah, it makes my back hurt just thinking about it, and. Um, and the, uh... And of course, we were talking about how are we are going to get everybody's photos so I can do like a little presentation. I'm going to do like a little multimedia presentation of where we've been in the last ten years. And I said, just everybody, just go up to Flickr, just make a Flickr group, and then everyone just posts all their photos there, and I'll pull them down from there. You know, it's just kind of like you know, let's, let's not make this hard, you know. And uh, and uh, but that's what makes it easy. But of course, the interface is a little bit more challenging. Now, the other
1: yeah, one, I, I, I'm not convinced that does make it easy. I'm, you know, I, I right. would never send we're, my mother to post something on Flickr. You know, it's like <laughs> well, it we I, are I,
0: we are on our twentieth year reunion, not our fiftieth. So you know, we, we you know. <laughs> We, we, most know, of us yeah.
1: I will. I find myself. You know. I, I make a website uh, that's explicitly for people that I don't want. You know, Force uh, them to go to Flickr, and then you know I'll, I'll export myself up to Flickr as well for people that are a little bit more savvy. But yeah. man, there's room for somebody to come in there and, and uh, put a different. You always think that in.
0: about. You think that about Twitter, but then you uh, and then you see other people try to do Twitter-like things, and then you find yourself not using it. You know, well, so. I think that
1: that speaks to the you know once you get critical mass of, of a user base, yeah, it's really you know it's extraordinarily hard to to go away from that you know people don't want don't want to leave something when they've sort of established a social community there yeah but that doesn't mean that you know I don't think that necessarily says that the interface is all that could be right.
2: Hey Julio. Um, yeah, go ahead. Steve here. Um, I've been using Aperture in the web galleries to to make you know kind of instant web galleries, and I wondered, um, you know, with the revamping of the dot Mac into Mobile Me, if you see that as a, a real sort of positive step forward. I don't know how much you've looked at that yet.
3: Well, I'm, I'm a big, I'm a huge fan of what Apple has done currently with iPhoto. Currently, the iPhoto iPhoto has uh, has the uh, the publish to the web uh, album option, and the the albums that Apple has generated that way look great. They look really nice, and the Mobile Me upgrade looks terrific. If you're on, on a Windows PC and you're using Picasa, uh, Google has its Picasa Web Albums, so that that again is you know very simple, very easy way to, to push your photos up to the web. And uh, because, and Google's uh, web uh, publishing uh, service is is quite nice. The problem I have with that is very it's very platform and and program specific um, so you have if on Windows uh, uh, it, you, you have to be using a particular kind of an operating system a particular kind of a uh, of a program and so the, these other options that I've that I described earlier the, what I like about them is that the makers in every single case have, have diverged from that. They've made it absolutely cross-platform. You can use it on any computer. If you have a computer at work, it'll work. If you have a, a Mac at home, Windows computer at work. No matter what kind of computer you're on, you have yeah. access and you have full uh, functionality. You're not limited. The final, the final one that you had there was the Banana Album. Yeah, the Banana Album is uh, one of the Jalbum skins. Okay. So if you're using Jalbum, you'll get a Banana Album. But the people that developed the Banana Album skin have gone... Well beyond that. They've, uh, <laughs> create, they've created standalone OS X software wow. for Mac users. Mm-hmm. If you want to just create uh, albums using their program. They've created uh, plugins for Aperture and iPhotos. so if you want to export directly from those programs, you can do that. There, they've created a Picasa uh, template, so if you're using uh, Picasa on Windows, uh, then you can generate a uh, banana album It's a it's a funny name banana album uh, albums from picasso so i'm i've i've become a fan of those folks because again they've tried to give you know everybody uh access to their technology right. which is really nice
0: fantastic now we're gonna have a uh, where can people find out uh do you have a, a web link of where you are so people can see more of what you're writing about this
3: yeah absolutely at the pioneer press twin com slash uh, tech test drive which is the name of my column and then my blog is yourtechweblog.com.: and we'll have uh, we'll have links to
0: a bunch of your test albums here uh, in the show notes as well as, as that site and uh, thank you very much Julio for that, uh, for yeah. that uh, overview
3: absolutely no problem thanks
0: thank you and now we have uh, we're bringing in Aaron Aaron are you ready I certainly am uh, we're bringing you in for the audible pick of the week what is the pick of the week today
4: pick of the week uh, it's another book that, uh, again, this falls in my personal love for uh, kind of historical fiction, um, but it's called The Company, and it's by Robert. I'm not sure if it's Latell or Little. Um, I think it may be yeah. Uh It is a absolutely fantastic book. It's about 41 hours long, so I, I will warn, uh, warn <laughs> listeners a little bit. 41 t-
0: hours. Wow. I could fly all the way uh, to which, Zimbabwe and
4: back and just listen to this. Yeah. I have a real love for long uh, audio, Audible books as well. I always get everything unabridged, which is a great benefit of Audible. They frequently have the unabridged copies. Uh, if if that's not even the only copy they have, it's usually unabridged. Um, I will warn listeners, too, uh, because the length of this is, is a two-credit book, uh, so it's one that you're probably going to want to tackle if you're already uh, an Audible subscriber, uh, which you will be rapidly after you give them a try. But um, it. It spans uh, a pretty enormous length of time here. It starts in uh, about the 1950s uh, Cold War right after World War II uh, with the beginnings of the CIA and uh, it actually follows its key characters all the way into the 1990s. Uh, So it's their complete careers including actually uh, the children of a couple of the the fictional characters in here. But it threads uh, the the fictional characters um, in throughout uh, a series of of, uh, famous historical characters as well. Um, So it doesn't tamper with the history but it gives a real means of of working these uh, individuals into the story and uh, in the process covers uh, the beginnings of the cold war the soviet invasion of hungary the bay of pigs afghanistan uh, the gorbachev putsch all those things are covered through the eyes of these characters as it follows through the through the complete history and the detail is phenomenal the narration is fantastic Um, it's one that again like some others are recommended you're just not going to be able to put it down once you start
0: yeah it sounds great Uh it's uh it's long i i'm i'm scared looking at the number but i but i i feel like i have to listen to it it's the, definitely the kind of thing that my i know my father would be very into so um uh this is definitely something to check out now of course uh, audible uh uh has over 40,000 titles so if you don't like that one you can uh, pick a lot of other ones i think that that one is probably going to be my next uh purchase from audible i'm going to definitely check that one out uh the um you can go to slash twip and get a free book if you ha, uh, if you this is your first visit over there, uh, your first free book uh, you can check it out there. It's uh, once again uh, audiblepodcast.com slash twip, and uh, well, of course to have that in the show notes. You know, it's free. It's free. Uh, you can go out and get a free book. So uh, and uh, once you get addicted to it, my my problem with Audible is that I uh, I stopped reading. <laughs> I was like, you know, <laughs> there's this book I want to reread called Africa: Biography of a Continent, which is one of the best books uh, that I've ever read about as an overview of Africa's history uh, by John Reeder. And uh, of course I went up to Audible. It's like, Oh, it'd be so great to, to, to hear, to hear somebody read that. And then of course it wasn't there. Oh, then, then it didn't really exist anymore. I wasn't even sure if he really wrote it, you know? So, uh, so anyway, so definitely uh, check out that and uh, definitely check out the company. It looks like a great book. Is there, is there a good sample up there
4: uh, on the Audible site? <laughs> oh certainly certainly yeah, yeah, there's usually different. a pretty good little excerpt from uh from any book they have and yeah. uh, you'll get a, a good taste of the narration you know, in if, there if which 41 is 41 hours they should give us like a half
0: an hour sample as far as yeah,
4: it's they're pretty long samples sometimes <laughs> it's been amazing how long <laughs> yeah. some of the samples will go but yeah. you know, be careful with the samples too because you, know, you don't want to spoil the uh you know exactly. the story for you too much gets in the middle of it
0: yeah it's not good so uh yeah i, yeah, I had that problem with the titanic you know i, I popped it up there and it said, and i was talking about it sinking i was like oh well, i don't want to read the book now so um so now here, here we, have, uh, we have, we're going to questions here. Uh, we've got, um, uh, uh, this is the first one from Jay Finn. Is there a, a standard release form for photographers to use? Uh, so he says, uh, have I, uh, I have a question about model release. Is there a standard release uh, that most photographers use? I'm completely new to this model release stuff. and have no idea what a release form looks like, or can you refer me to a site to get one? Do you guys have any uh, input on that?
1: Um, I don't know. I don't have one offhand, but I know there's there's quite a few example forms on the web. We can definitely dig up a, a link or two and put it yeah. in the show notes. I don't.
0: Yeah, there's you know the, this is definitely if you Google, uh, you'll find a whole bunch of them. I think what we what we did is we we Googled and uh, I'm not allowed to say that, am I? We used Google to do a search, uh, and uh, we uh, um and we found like five or six of them and picked the stuff that we liked, and then we showed it to a lawyer and he said it was fine. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's no one model release that will sort of you know get you out of uh, any situation. Right. But I think for photographers, I've seen a lot of people carrying the little pocket model release yeah. that will fit in their camera bag. And you know, if you're going to get model releases, that's maybe an easier way to do it because the the words are so small, people can hardly read them. And and if they <laughs> find a to sign, they'll sign. I never use a model release. I just don't. I just don't feel good about it. It's not the kind of work I do. But I totally recommend you know other people doing it because it frees you to do what you want with the photos maybe even sell them and make some money with it
1: yeah uh, steve as, as a photojournalist, i guess you know anything you do is sort of protected under that that aegis then right that you uh, you know theoretically well, you can put something as journalism and it's considered fair use or how does that work
2: yeah, I think, and we've discussed this a little before, but I think that uh, yeah, the, the the legality of it is, if you're out in a public place, you kind of lo- give up that that expectation of privacy, and if I as a as a journalist take your picture and publish it in a in a journalistic vehicle then there's not much you can do to sue. But I mean, you know, it, it's a big gray area because we know that journalism is a big business. And, uh, you know, so it, it's constantly changing. It's in a litigious society like the United States. It makes it, uh, you know, you never know what's going to happen. It's better to err on the side of having model releases. Even traditional editorial places might ask the photographer to provide model releases because they just don't want to take any chances. It's, it's the world we live and in.
0: especially if you're thinking of reselling your photo, like through something like iStock, photo or other photo sites um you know you, you, you gotta have one they won't they don't yeah. want to play if you don't have one so definitely check that out uh next question we've got from bruce savage and um <laughs> and bruce is asking he has he says he's a beginner to to uh, the DSL, dslr world for some reason i can't say dslr today and uh, <laughs> he's got a 40 uh, a nikon d40x with the kit lens the 18 to 135 and he said he's got three girls under four. Holy smokes, uh, is what <laughs> I would <gonna> say. <laughs> that, that's a crazy house. I can tell you that from here. And he's trying to decide the next purchase. Should it be a new lens or a flash? So what do you guys think? Boy, that's a tough one. What do you think, Ron?
1: Uh, I, you know, I, I guess the question I'd ask back to him right away would be, where, what's the problem that you're having? You know, are you finding that you're shooting a lot indoors and you just don't have the light that you need you know or is it something where you're not getting the you know the range that you want or something i mean clearly when it comes to not having enough light the, the the two options are either get a get some additional light like a flash or you know get a really fast lens you know i don't know what the 18 to 135 he's got is but i suspect it's not that I have 4.5 3.5 yeah. to 4
0: or 5 point, to 5.6 yeah. i bet
1: yeah, you, so you know, you, adding a adding a uh, fifty millimeter, you know, one point eight or one point four or something like that. Yeah. You know, I'm, it, I'm when I'm a, you, when you
0: go, ahead, go ahead, Alex. I was just going to say, I I personally uh, feel very strongly about this. Uh, every. I think almost every photo, if you go up to the, uh, we'll put it in the web notes, the, the web.mac.com slash Alex Lindsay. And there's a little photo gallery of my, of my, uh, seventh month old son now. And, uh, every photo up there has been shot with one lens and that's, that's, and it's not even a great lens. It's not an expensive lens. It's a 1.8, uh, 50 millimeter lens. Uh, but I can't say more about having something that's faster. I'm, I'm going to, I need to just go out and buy a 1.4. I kept on going back between the 1.4 and the 1.2.
1: That um, oh, it's uh, huge though. I have the 1.4. Too. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I, so I, I keep on going, should I, you know, cause I felt like I really, I kind of went halfway when I got the, the 1.8, I was going to Africa and I just grabbed it and I didn't want to spend a lot of money on it at the time. So it was like $90 or something. Uh, the 1.4 is like 350, I think uh, on the Canon side anyway. And, uh, the 1.8 is like a thousand dollars or $1,200. And so I keep on going, do I just want to get one lens that I'm always going to use? And so I've been caught in this kind of indecision. And In the meantime, I've been shooting with this 1.8 and, um, I've just been, you know, the thing is, I almost feel like they should take a, either give you a, when you, you know, we're spending, when you have a baby, you know, it costs 20 grand, you know, to, (laughs) you know, to have a baby and, and you should get camera equipment credits for that. No, no, no. You should get camera credits. Part of it is. So when, when you're in the, when you're in the emergency, when you're in the, like the labor room, (laughs) <laughs> they can hand you either a 40, a, a D40 or a 20 or, 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 or a Rebel, a Canon Rebel with a 50 millimeter and just go, this is just part of, this is part of being a parent is you need to have one of these, you need to have a nice fast lens because you get these super, you know, blurred out backgrounds and, and your kids are sharp and it has that kind of dreamy look. And, and I just, I mean, I have to admit, I have one of these little, uh, we talked about it earlier, these e-starling uh, picture frames on my thing that's changing from one photo to another and they're just it's so nice. And so I, I just, you I should really start
2: a foundation, Alex.
0: Yes, exactly. A Foundation that just you know. gives, gives needy, needy, uh, camera challenged parents. Cause they, you know, with the little, those little snapshot, um, uh, cameras and admittedly the 18 to the kit lens that you have is going to shoot lots of good photos, but it's, you're not going to have that short depth of field. That's going to create that kind of, uh, you, you want some of those photos of your kid. I really strongly think that everybody should yeah. have a fast 50.
2: You, guys you know, this honest? is like, it's, it's one of those, uh, you know, they're, they're bo- there's no wrong answer because yeah. I think going to a two point lens would be great. But, you know, I was thinking of uh, Bruce and his three kids running around everywhere. And, you know, that flash, you know, the duration of the flash is like, you know, fast enough to freeze any action. Right. and And, you know, having that slow lens, I mean, maybe the flash is something, you know as he, you know, he's going to get more sort of usable images of his kids because he's going to sort of freeze their speedy movements. So, I mean, you know, that's maybe something to be said. I'm not necessarily a fan of Flash, but I'm thinking for him, you know, maybe that would be very different. Well, yeah, a,
1: and if you, you get a Flash, now. make sure you make sure you get one that, you know, sort of has the, the rotating head on it so you can aim it up as a bounce flash instead of a oh, direct, yes. you know, head-on yeah, flash. He's, that's he's, really he's talking, ugly.
2: He's talking about the SB-800, so that's like, that's all flash. That's all he needs. That'd
1: be perfect. So, yeah, yeah. I, I have to admit, I haven't. High end, the high, on, high end Nikon like flash.
0: Yeah. I, I don't think I've used a flash in, um, a decade <laughs> uh, this is flash powder that's what you were using yeah yeah no I had flash yeah back then back in the day I had some flash powder but that was about it so uh, so anyway yeah I, 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 I just I, for me you know I'm, I guess I'm not I've never really gotten good at using the flash and I just I notice it so quickly and it bothers me so much that um, that I just uh, I've never really uh, I've seen great stuff done with flashes I just it hasn't been by me so I, I kind of just went for faster and faster lenses so the um, uh, final we got uh, one more one more question here, and I and I, I think this might have come up, but we've gotten a couple more of these. Oh, actually, here let me let me jump in this question here. So this is a um, uh, this is a, oh wow. Let me see if I can say this right. Oh, Per Arnie Kavams Kavams.
1: Uh, he's in Norway, and can he's the, sorry. No, Say it with a Norwegian accent and we'll think you got it right. Burn and Arnie. That was know. Swedish.
0: So, yeah. <laughs> sorry. Okay,
1: sorry. I, sorry. in Wisconsin. That. I don't we
0: know. Need, we need Mickel Olson in here. He can, he can, he can correct us there. So the, uh, uh, Um, so the, uh, so anyway, uh, He's asking about purple fringing since he's experiencing a lot of uh, indoor shooting with. He's got his Nikon 50 millimeter 1.4 out to full aperture, and uh, and he's seen some uh, some purple fringing. What is that from, Ron? Do you want to jump in there?
1: Sure. And, and there's actually two things that it can be from. Uh, and when I first got into looking at this a little bit, uh, I was assuming that it was just chromatic aberration, and that is, mm-hmm. um, you know, that that's where the Different wavelengths of light, you know, sort of bend differently through a piece of glass. And that's one of the hardest things for a, a lens designer to deal with is the fact that when you get light coming through a lens, it's like a prism. And, you know, how a regular triangular prism will separate light into its different components. That's exactly what you're seeing with chromatic aberration in, in a lens. And they, they do a lot of stuff with coatings and, you know, specialized materials to try and get... You know, the red, green, and blue components, and, and, you know, in the digital world, I mean, that's the digital equivalent, but in the, uh, you know, the optical world, the different wavelengths of light to converge in the right place. And when they don't, you know, if you've got a lens that's not as, uh, as well-tuned, you get slight color shifts around, sort of, especially around transition areas, and you see this uh, kind of a fringing look. Um, and this happens with a lot of lenses, I mean we uh, and it does we yeah. actually had
0: a plug in I had a plug in, in after effects when we were working on star wars that added uh that added chromatic aberration uh, back because you almost our expect CG
1: shots yeah Sometimes, and then it especially shows up around you know like big transition areas between light and dark right and um but then uh, there 's a number of ways to fix that, but the uh, you know the there's there's plugins for Photoshop that do a pretty good job of sort of shifting the red green and blue channels around a little bit, uh, and and you can sort of fix that in post. Uh, but there's also another, and this is more the classical term purple fringing these days. There's another thing that can cause that, which is the actual CCD sensors on the camera lens or on the camera sensor itself. the the charge can bleed over to stuff next door basically mm-hmm. and that's not something that's a lens problem that's a sensor problem you see it a lot more with point and shoots and i don't think there's as good a fix for that out there um generally the fix is get a you know get a better camera with a better sensor on it right again it shows what he has
0: here but he's, he is putting a nikon 50 millimeter on something so it's some kind of slr we would assume
1: right so you know maybe it's not that although even even i think even the best uh You know, SLR cameras have a little bit of this purple fringing going on if you have like a really, really, you know, bright sky and then, you know, dark tree branches in front of it or something like that. And again, there's some digital digital tricks that you can do to kind of mitigate that. But uh, so maybe a few different things. And then one last question
0: that we have here. Uh, unless Steve, did you have anything to add to that?
1: Oh no, no, you guys oh. covered it.
0: So the uh, the last thing is is that, and I thought we had covered this, but I think we've gotten a couple more questions about this. Uh, this is someone who is uh, looking at uh, getting a high quality sixteen gigabyte flash card um so they do almost all he, uh, this is from uh, ray Kraft, and he said i'm an amateur photographer who is an avid uh, canon body and glass user and uh, almost all of my work is uh, landscape but i am now starting to do some macro photography i shoot approximately 98 percent raw and i'm looking for a high capacity flash uh, memory uh, what recommendation would you have um do you guys have any specific recommendations uh, Why, uh, just...
1: yeah go ahead, go ahead.
2: Well, I I was just going to say, and you probably answer this question better, but basically, I mean, you know, there's that whole "all your eggs in one basket" thing. I was going to say, well, it used to be more of an issue, but frankly, you know, the the more I've, I've, been a digital photographer, the 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 less I worry about the the uh, the card itself because you know knock on wood I've had a lot of good things uh, I I've, I've, I haven't had any negative experiences with the cards themselves um, and I suspect too that people using medium format digital and the very large files uh, require these these very right. large cards but uh, but um, I'm I'm not sure why uh, you you know he might need sixteen um, yeah I,
0: I mean I um, still my my the best sixteen gig card is four four gig cards to me um and mostly because i'm just uh i really don't like having it's not i'm not worried about the card failing I've, i don't think i've ever had knock on wood never had a card fail on me but i'm more concerned about losing them
1: yeah but see i you know i think that goes both ways i was actually talking to a photographer uh, a little while back that works for national geographic and his point was you know that the one, chances one of me card in
0: the camera right what's that it's just one card in the camera
1: Exactly, you know, and the chances of me dropping a, a card while I'm changing it and, you know, right. dropping it in the mud or something right. or, or, you know, somebody grabs that my my bag while I'm holding the camera, then, you know, those extra cards go away whereas I'm always going to hold on to the camera. So I, I'm not convinced that it's, you know, that that act of pulling a card out, swapping it in right there is, is a danger a danger time also. Yeah. yeah, And what you just said, I think uh,
2: it, it warrants another tip and that is the cards, especially the, the cards that you've used are, you know, you keep... The, you know in in your front pocket in the most secure place that you possibly can
0: and and all i gotta say is when you're overseas always make sure to look into the card slot before you put them in Um, i Ah. i I put one in i put one in and it wouldn't read and i was like i've never had this happen i'm trying to take a photo and i'm like (laughs) and i'm like trying to figure out what's wrong and i pull it out and it's all gooey and i was like what happened i was like looking at it and it had this goo on it and i was like what happened how did that get into my camera and i open i look in there. And while I was sitting, it was only open for a minute. But a uh, some little bugger had crawled into it. This is in Africa. Some little Ooh. bugger had crawled into my card slot, and then I had smashed him into the. Oh and, man! Uh, what are the odds of that? I know. <laughs> it, <laughs> was, really. it was a nasty looking little guy too. I don't think I would have wanted to see him. And and so uh, so then the only thing that got that uh, solved that saved me was the fact that for whatever reason at the place that I was at the guy liked to model and he had all these dental tools. And and so I had all these little dental tools and I slowly, I mean, it took me like an hour and a half to get all the... Uh, all the bug goo out of my out of my camera but uh but anyway probably should have sent it away but you know i was in africa had to improvise and um uh so uh that's that's the only other side of
1: switching i mean just just i think you know part of his question may be a technical one too in terms of you know what what does he need to look for when he's buying a card in terms of you know there's different speeds and all that kind of stuff and we should mention the um and we'll put a link
0: out rob galbreath i think did a great uh cross-section of like the speeds and and uh values of a lot of this stuff so we'll put a link to his website too
1: I mean, I'm not convinced that, you know, on, on anything but the highest end uh, DSLR, the, you know, the, the write speeds are going to be that significant relative to how fast your camera can even put pictures to the, to the right. card. So it's not like you have to get the fastest, fastest card all the time, especially if you're shooting with a more prosumer level. I just get impatient about loading the images off. That's yeah, the, I mean, there is, yeah, there is an advantage when you come home and plug it into your card reader, but, you know, right. how much that's worth to you is questionable. My time is valuable.
0: So next week, we don't know what we're doing yet. Uh, it's gonna, We're going to keep you guys in uh, uh, in um, in mystery. Uh, and also, I just want to remind you, uh, just before I jump past that, uh, is that uh, listener questions, uh, if you have them, go up to twipphoto.com and send them in. Uh, we, we always get more than we can answer, but uh, we're going to cut through as many. We're trying to add more. Uh, to these shows and so you're, uh, you're getting a couple more so uh, definitely check that out next week as I said we're not sure what we're going to do here uh, we have a, we have a, we have a uh, in the coming weeks I'm, I am going to try to do a little video so we're going to see if we can get that out by, uh, by next Wednesday uh, we are going to move the publish date uh, in july to uh to monday the record date will stay the same uh, for those for the for the for those of you listening right now uh, as in the other hosts record date will stay the same it'll give us a little bit more time to um add some stuff to the uh, aac uh we just don't have quite enough time in a in a one-day turn to make that work and uh ron do you have any do you have any tips from your uh, recent travels
1: <laughs> um yeah sure i you know this learn is learn german is Yes, yeah, learn German or learn the local language. Now, this is a simple one, but uh, I found that a lot of times I was, you know, as I was doing more touristy kind of stuff and walking around, is uh, you know everybody's taking pictures from the exact same location and a lot of times if you just look around a little bit and you realize oh there's a you know there's a stairwell up around there just a little bit or there's a, a a railing that I can probably climb up on a little tiny bit you know sometimes moving no more than a few feet away can really change the composition of a photo and get some you know foreground object out of the way or get the framing to be better so just just take a quick look around and see if just stepping up on top of something or uh, you know moving over to the side and hanging off the edge of a, of a lamp post or something like that can give you a different Angle on something that's unique and doesn't give you the same photo that everybody else is taking?
0: It, it, you know, I think that's a great, uh, great, great tip. The uh, <laughs> funny thing about this is that I, I was in a, when I was one of my trips to Africa, I, uh, I had a, a fellow who uh, was with me who does a lot of photography. And this is back when I was really just getting started. And it would drive me crazy that uh, we'd be in the same place at the same time and uh he would uh you know it would be in the same place at the same time and he and he would take these photos that you could put up on your wall and i would just take snapshots and uh, it happened over and over and over again and, and it was and he was standing right next to me and it was oftentimes just one little angle uh that he took uh, one little change in focal length uh, so on and so forth that made that seemed to make all the difference
1: I and mean, it can be a huge difference just a step or two you know i, I actually i i'll i'll try a bit of a blog post on this because i explicitly took two photos from like three feet different from each other uh, just to show you know how the composition can change quite a bit and you know something in in the particular photos I took explicitly to do the blog post so I guess I better do it Uh, you know it was it was a foreground tree that from one position it was sort of just kind of mushed in with the rest of uh, this the sort of castle ruin in the background and then just a few steps away the castle walls kind of rose up and framed the tree nicely, and it was just you know, a far better shot in just a matter of a step or two. No,
2: it's I think that it's getting harder for me to do, but bending of the knees and right. getting down a little bit can actually really dramatically change, especially the horizons, or if you've got a person, it, it puts them above the horizon if you're silhouetting, and uh, you've got to remember to try it. You've got to remember to try it. It hurts, yes, but it's worth it because you get great pictures.
0: Definitely, definitely. Hey, uh, Steve, where can people find you?
2: Um, well, you can find me on my website, stevesimonphoto.com, and I'm also doing year 12 of a 13-year uh, Canada Day uh, project, where I'm mm. in a different part of Canada every Canada Day. And on July 1st, I'm going to be in Yellowknife, Northwest Territories. So if there are any uh, twippers uh, in Yellowknife, uh, get in touch, and we'll, we'll go for coffee.
0: Fantastic. And uh, Ron? Ron?
1: uh today i will pimp uh since my book is now finally shipping it, is it in the stores it, it is uh, at least showing up from people that order on amazon okay so. great Congratulations. i just told a whole class
0: i told a whole class uh, over the last two weeks we twice we were talking about compositing and i told them that they should buy this book but don't buy it right now
1: and uh, <laughs> yes i that had to explain exactly that. the second out-
0: edition was coming out and uh, this is in the pixel core we call it the good book of brinkman
1: yeah, and I, I'm going to get copies off to you guys, and the, you guys not being all of the listeners. <laughs> you oh, you already studio. committed, Ron. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You're stuck 5, with it, 5,300. 5,300. Because uh, I'd be curious, you know, a, a good chunk of what I did in the book was kind of, and this is from the visual effects perspective, for those of you that aren't familiar with what the book is. But I really went through, you know, what's this, what's this sort of mental mapping that you have to do between... You know, the digital world and the real world and how did, how does all this stuff kind of relate? And I spent a lot more time in this version of the book doing that. And I, I think it does apply to photography in a lot of ways too. just that sense of, you know, learning to learning to see what how a camera sees and that kind of thing. Yep. So, yes, uh, digitalcompositing.com. There's a whole new website up there with forums and all kinds of stuff that hopefully people will use.
0: Great. And uh, for everyone, a reminder to go up. We are posting something almost every day uh, on twipphoto.com, and so you definitely want to check that out. That's also where you can send questions, uh, be part of the forums, uh, be part or not the forums, but the polls. Uh, So definitely check that out. And uh, until next week, you can put that lens cap right back on.
1: Shouldn't we be telling people to take the lens cap off and go shoot? That sends a bad message
2: to
0: the kids, oh, though. But, but we, we just took the photo. We just see. We just took the whole photo, and then we put the lens cap. Oh, uh, okay. See, this was the photo. It was a, it was it was an auditory photo of, of the experience of photography.
2: Was- I don't even believe in lens caps, frankly. You only want you got filters on there to protect the lens. Exactly. You're gonna miss a shot as you try and get the lens
3: cap on.